do yourself a favor and support a nonprofit. That's yeah. that's what I say, say to everybody. So you know, if they if, they, if if people want to see an end of institutions in our lifetime and a family for every child by twenty forty, a um, family for every child. That's a beautiful name. Is that right? I mean, right? Yeah. A family for every child. I mean, what would our world look like if yeah. we if we gave every child a strong family? Everyone you meet every single day is fighting a battle you may know nothing about. We're all in the process of overcoming. I'm Justin Wren, and my story has been heard by millions of people through my book, my TED Talk, podcast interviews, TV shows, professional fighting, and my foundation, Fight for the Forgotten. I believe we are all overcomers if we choose to overcome. We all have the option. I've been given the opportunity to overcome childhood trauma, sexual abuse, immense bullying, depression, suicidal ideation, substance use disorder, and I am a two-time suicide survivor. We are here to have conversations with some of the greatest minds of our time. Get ready to be inspired and to receive the tools and game plan to win this fight called life. Thank you for being here, for showing up for yourself. You, me, we have overcome 100% of our darkest days. I'm not done yet, and neither are you. This is your invitation to overcome. Well, I guess we're getting started right now, and I'm really grateful that you're here, Caroline. Thanks. I'm yeah. glad to be here. Yeah, and you asked, you asked a little bit of what my intention was or about this podcast and really it's called overcome. The reason is, you know, there, we're always going to face some of life's greatest challenges, no matter where we are, if we're about to go through it, if we're already in it, or we're just getting through a season of challenges, like more on their way. I don't think that's necessarily a negative way to think about it. It's just like, how are you going to handle those? When the stormy waters come, are you going to sink or swim? Are you going to rise up and overcome how do we win this fight called life and overcome. And so part of the way we set this up is that I have a little saying, it's just you, me, we have overcome a hundred percent of our darkest days. Um, I'm a two time suicide survivor. I've been to treatment twice in my life, lost a lot of friends actually in 2021, uh, five of my friends died by suicide, one by overdose, one by heart attack. And so there's, there's a lot of real challenges in the world today. And I know that you've seen those um, from your, your trips, your experience through your foundation. And then also personally, we, we really want to cover people's personal journey, their story of what they've had to overcome in life. But uh, basically what we want to highlight is the tools, the tactics, the techniques that have helped you overcome or helping others overcome. And so that's kind of the purpose of the show. Love it. What an important show at this time. Thank you. Yeah. It's a it's a pivotal moment in history. Mm. And I think it's really time for us to start, you know, thinking about other people. I, that's one of the that's one of my big tactics. Yeah. Is thinking about other people. That's great. Yeah. What do you think is some of the benefits of that tactic is it that by thinking of others you're not so much in your head or so self-important, like self-focused and self-centered because you're starting to think of of others? Yes. I mean, especially when you think of others that are in distress, you mm. really just start to get gratitude and that gratitude thermometer that we all have just really shoots up. And so gratitude if, thermometer. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Like that. Keep it, keep that thermometer nice and high. And yeah. it'll, because I mean, no matter where you look, you could always find someone that's doing better than you and someone that's doing worse than you. Right. And that's just, there's just no way not to. So that's the whole why compare yourself because you're always going to end up in the mm. middle anyway. Yeah. Um, have you ever heard the quote, comparison is the thief of joy? No. Comparison is the thief of joy. And just on the comparison trap, 
I think when we do compare, especially now with uh, social media and highlight reels and what our youth are going through, it's like a lot of them are comparing, they only compare up. And I know through yeah. some of my world travels, like no one's ever compared down and not saying it to like look down on anyone, but to have the full picture, to have perspective on one, you're comparing yourself to someone that might be quote unquote up, but that person might not be truly happy. They might have it all, but really they're maybe empty inside or it's their, it's their highlight reel. That's not even real. It's, it's fabricated. Yeah. And so people get caught in that trap and. I know my first trip to Africa, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I, I thought I was poor, you know, uh, or I thought I've experienced poverty or I thought, you know, I've seen poverty, but I had never truly seen it. Like our homeless here have so much more than a lot of the people there. And so it was, anyways, it opened, it broadened my spectrum to what comparison is. Like if you're going to do it, do it in a, a way that's actually healthy and balanced and think about, okay, well, I have this, so what can I do for those that have less than me? Right. And it's so interesting because what I've decided is that there isn't a top. There is always mm. someone that's going to have more money. There's always a better plane. There's always a better hotel. You know, it's like there is no top. I've never seen the yep. top. A lot of us want to see the top, but there really isn't a top. Um, and the top moves all the time. But there is absolutely a ground. Mm. And it is solid and beautiful and stable and you know, when you go to, um, when you do get to travel and you see developing countries and you see that there's a joy there sometimes when yeah. they have, you know, obviously if they aren't getting their needs met, there's no joy. That's, it's hard to be joyous and hungry. But if they're getting their needs met and they have enough, which is a word that we don't use in America mm. enough, I think, it's, you, yeah. know, you know, it's the word enough. Mm -hmm. um, once they hit that level of enough, there's a joy that is really just so prevalent there. Right. And so... I mean, yeah, the, grat like the gratitude thermometers are good. Yeah. yeah. And it just makes you grateful. It makes you grateful to be around them. It makes you grateful to, to be able to, um, you know, like, wow, you know, I thought my life was hard, but, you know, I had a school. Mm. I had a road to go to school. Mm -hmm. We had electricity that you could just turn on in our home. We had running water, running water in our house. So there were these things that we have that we just don't even ever stop or stop for a second and thank God for because... I mean, we're just so used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Running water that's clean, that can get hot or warm or cold. I mean, uh, all of it. I mean, you can brush your teeth with it. You can drink it. I mean, we you give it to our into, dogs. You can go into different rooms and get water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can have it in every room you that you want it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. So whenever... But we don't think about it. We take it for granted. And whenever you think about maybe our culture, maybe it's maybe it's your upbringing, um, and then you expanded like your perception, and you saw people who did have enough, and it was enough. Do you think it's the comparison trap that makes maybe people from our culture or the U.S. Like almost have a constant state of feeling like I don't have enough, even whenever they have more than enough of their like basic needs met. I mean, what do you? What? I really, I mean, I don't know. I, yeah. I wonder sometimes if we spend so much time thinking about ourselves mm. that we don't take time to think about others. And I think when we are thinking about others, it really it's 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 one of the most selfless things you can do, or selfish things you could do, is to think about others because it feels so good to give. Mm. And so, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, 
I'm not saying that we do, but it is, yeah. uh, it is just, you know, I used to say, so I, I used to say that I have everything that money can buy and now I have everything that money can't buy. Ooh, and it's so much like better that. to have everything money can't buy because money can't buy fulfillment. It can't buy com- contentment. It yeah. can't buy gratitude. It can't buy joy. It can't mm. buy any of those things. It can't buy deep and meaningful relationships. Right. It can buy, it can buy kind of the. Their entourage. Yeah, but, yeah the entourage, but not, not the ones that, that truly will be there for you whenever, if that money's gone. Yeah. Right. And you know, we all really, at the end of the day, want three things. Mm. We want to love and be loved. We want our families to be healthy, happy, and taken care of, mm. and we want to make a difference. Yeah. And we have this culture that screams money, 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 and, and money doesn't do any of that. It's like totally up against the wrong tree. Yeah. We're climbing up the wrong tree. Wow. And when I realized that um, I wanted to make a difference with my life, that's when things started to change. I didn't know what I wanted my life to be, but I knew that it couldn't just always be about the money for me anymore. It just wasn't, it wasn't satisfying. It wasn't, I, I, I just didn't like being there. It was just not, it was just, um, it was empty. Hmm. It was empty. It was lonely. I, I, I can relate that a little, just to a short part of my story was, uh, was national champion in wrestling. And so I jumped over to MMA and started finding it at a young age. I think at 19 years old, I think it was the youngest professional heavyweight in the world, or at least the US. And then 21, I'm on the Ultimate Fighter TV show and I'm fighting at the highest level, still the youngest guy. I think the next youngest guy was like 28. And and I'm everybody else is, you know, taking my picture, or journalists are saying, like, you've got a bright future, all these different things. But I get my hand raised and I would think, is this it? Is this all? And so I could really like relate that to you saying feeling empty. Yeah. Because I'm I'm having victory. There's people maybe chanting my name or cheering for me or whatever it is, but something inside me wasn't right. And I think for me personally, I was fighting against people, but really my calling was to fight for people. And I wasn't doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- exactly. And that's, that's when you kind of get to the aha moment. It's like, wow, I really want to make a difference with my life. I don't want to just be, I don't want just a great highlight reel. Right. And so where, where did yours start where... You had that realization, you had that awakening where you're like, oh, wow, like I have this stuff, but it's not fulfilling stuff. So I need to shift. I need to make adjustments and I need to, for me, it was small. And then all of a sudden it started to grow. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, um, I figured it out when I was about 28, I had, um, done really well financially by, by the time I was 28. Um, which is all I ever wanted to do was be rich. That's all I ever wanted to do was to to make money. And when I started making money, that's when I started like, well, wait a minute, this isn't yeah. <laughs> like what? And and how? I mean, the ladder to success. It's I mean, it, it's it's to, it's all the way to heaven. I mean, it's like I'm never going to get there. I'm exhausted. I'm mm-hmm. exhausted. And how many zeros before I finally get satisfied? Like, where is the satisfaction? Am I ever going to get full? Uh, so um, I. Uh, was telling one of my best friends about that. She was having the same feeling, and she and I decided that we would quit our jobs and and travel around the world for a year. Wow! Yeah, the That's goal was commitment. just to chase summer. Oh, it yeah. was so fun. We had chase summer. What do you mean? Wanted to be in the summer. Yeah. for the whole year, no okay. winter time. You know, yeah. I mean, of course, we were in Austin, Texas. It's not like there's a big winter time <laughs> here anyway. Right. But we didn't want to go to the tundra. Yeah. So. Well, that's unique, uh, traveling and making sure it's warm everywhere you everywhere go. Everywhere we go. Year round. Like, yeah, we wanted to be a year of summer, B2B, 
beaches, you know, the whole thing. And so we went back to her house. This is so many years ago that we actually used a, a map. We actually took out a world map, put it on the floor and started picking where we wanted to go. She wanted to go to India because she'd been sponsoring a little boy there, which I just thought was a, I mean, like <laughs> total scam. I thought yeah. they saw every, they saw her coming a mile away and they gave everybody the same picture. And I like, really started making fun of her about it. But she's like, no, I want to meet this kid. I've been donating for four and a half years, every single month. So I reluctantly agreed. So we um, started our trip in January. In May, we got to India. It was 119 degrees. So our vision of a a summer was realized. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's Um, enough for you to go go to winter afterwards. (laughs) So we we went to this really remote village on the east east side of India in a state called Odisha. And went to this village and met the little boy she'd been sponsoring in good faith for four and a half years. He had the first picture she'd ever sent. Wow. He was in school. He had free. He had electricity. He had you know free um, education. Uh, he was real. It was unbelievable. And so we. He's probably getting some like uh, food for money or 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 meals during yeah, the food. And I mean that like I mean he wasn't. I didn't. I even even then, I knew he wasn't going to break out of the cycle of poverty. It yep. wasn't enough wasn't to. Enough. It wasn't enough to break him out. Um, but he, but, um, but I was, that's when I first found the ground. I thought it's like, wow, this is the bottom of the socioeconomic pyramid. This is what I've been reading about. This is amazing to be with these people. So we were with them for about five days. And then, wow, that's great. um, then Mother's Day of 2000 is the day that my whole life changed. I got up in the morning. I called my mom for Mother's Day. I went and worked in the 119 degree heat at that village like I was doing. And then a local invited us to his house for dinner, which we reluctantly agreed to because we didn't want to, we didn't want to be rude, but we didn't, we were so tired at the end of every day. And, um, and so we went to this guy's house for dinner and we um, walked through his door and are greeted by 110 little orphan children. He lived in an orphanage. He lived in an orphanage. He wasn't the one running it? He was running He the was orphanage. running it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was the bottom just fell out. It's like, I, oh my gosh, here I thought I was dealing with the poorest people on earth, but really poverty is when no one loves you. That is true poverty. That's the real definition of poverty. Wow. And so we um, played with them and prayed with them and had dinner with them. And um, there was a lot of people from the community there because it was an ashram. It was a Hindu temple. And so um, after dinner, this little girl came and put her head on my knee and they were just like attaching to us, you know, and we were, I started singing her the lullaby that my mother used to sing to me and went to put her in her room, in her crib. And I walk into her room and I find these wooden beds, like just picnic tables. And to put a hungry orphan girl on a wooden bed on Mother's Day, I I heard her bones hit that bed. And I just thought, if I don't help her, maybe nobody ever will. And so the foundation was founded that that minute I knew that I was going to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Moments like those, um, absolutely life-changing. What a gift. I mean, what a gift to get a moment like that. Yeah. That was the, really a, hard. a big aha moment. Yeah. Really hard to experience. Um, but then once you feel that calling or desire to like start something that people can get behind and support to support that child and child just children just like her. I mean, it's, uh, it's a huge undertaking. I know what it's like to start a nonprofit. It's not easy. And so your nonprofit is the Miracle Foundation. Right. Based here in Austin, Texas. Right. Supporting 
orphanages in India, but so we support um, two. Basically, we're fixing. We're working on two systems: right. the orphanage system, which no child belongs in that system. It's right. too old. It doesn't work. It's yep. you know, it's not good for them. So we're our goal is to empty orphanages. We'll, we'll be there. Will not be orphanages in the world after twenty forty. Um, the world's you know, it's done with that quote unquote solution, and then the foster care. Um, children. Yep. That solution. That is a solution that is also not working. So we're working in these two systems. And where do you mostly work at? So um, I am based out of New York now. So right. I'm working globally with the orphanage systems, trying to uh, get children out of it and prevent children from entering the system in the first place. And then in the United States, we're working in foster care. But of course, the UK has foster care. France has foster care. Canada, Australia. There's there's or, there's foster care systems out there. Um, that we're working to to improve. This podcast is brought to you by Onnit.com. Onnit.com slash overcome. Use the code overcome to save yourself 10% on, I'm holding in my hands, the Alpha Brain Focus Shot. It's in this cool container. Amy's got the website pulled up for I you do. guys watching on YouTube. Did you drink your Focus Shot this morning? Absolutely. I, th I, I thought you did. I did too. Yeah. How do you like it? Oh my god, I feel so good. I always feel it's early right now energy. on a Monday. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. This is this is one of the earliest podcasts we've done. Well, this is early for you. Early for you. <laughs> well, to, to go on the show, yeah, for sure. And it promotes focus and energy, supports a positive mood state, helps manage mental stress. And for me, I truly feel like it helps me get in the flow state faster, stay there longer. Whether I'm going into sparring, I had one before I went to sparring yesterday, and I had a four and a half hour training session because they were stacked so i went from 12 to 1 30 and then straight over to the gym from 2 to 4 30 4 40 came home tired last night mm -hmm. but i was focused the entire time i feel like it's very reliable about yeah. how i'm gonna feel the more i've used it the more doing this show really the more i'm able to know that when i drink it i'm gonna be on point my brain's gonna be functioning really well i feel generally good and that's been so nice to be able to know that it is not going to suddenly make me jittery or suddenly make me feel nauseous or whatever it is. Yeah, well, that, that for me is important because some of the products with caffeine, which just has some caffeine, but it's like plant-based and it's healthy and it's a low dose. It's not jittery bad. It's not jittery <laughs> at all. And sometimes I'll have, you know, one of those energy drinks or something and then I'm over caffeinated, over stimulated. And then I feel like I can't think as good That's not good. because it's, it's bothering me. Yeah. And all the alpha brain line is super reliable. The capsules, my favorites, the, one of my favorites are the instant then the black label and my all-time favorite is what we're talking about now. The Alpha Brain Focus Shots. They're incredibly good tasting. The tropical flavor. They also have peach, I believe. But mine's the tropical because it's passion fruit. And that's it delivers consistently. Fruit. And sometimes I'll take one and I'll split it between two smoothies when I make it for us in the morning. I'll just throw a little bit in each mm -hmm. and just, just adds a little something to like our protein powder and the fruit and whatever else we've got in there. Yeah, and thank you so much on it for supporting me, my comeback to fighting, uh, fight for the forgotten, and this podcast—they make it possible. So please support our sponsors, who honestly I think have the best supplement line in the world. And yeah. Our favorite products: Alpha Brain or Total Human. Get the best in one packet, uh, a morning support and a night support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with Overcome with Justin Wren. 
and onit.com. Be sure to use that code. Mm -hmm. Use the code overcome. Save yourself some money. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I have a friend that next, not this Friday, but next Friday, I'll be going to Oklahoma uh, to celebrate his kind of celebration or going away party um, at Oklahoma DHS. He was the director, Director Brown. Um, I think he's also the Secretary of State there, Justin Brown. And I've gotten to speak to all the DHS employees um, a couple times, 6,000 people that are on the front lines with uh, the foster care system, um, the elderly, the disabled, and um, it's, it's really, really hard work. But the thing that I loved about Justin is he went in there, not as a governmental person at all, like a successful businessman with a heart to help was on the board of like, uh, the Alzheimer's association, but also like the YMCA and also the children's hospital. Like he was just made for it. And he went in there and created systems and got the frontline workers care for all the trauma they see. But, um, his main thing was, uh, I should probably set you up with him yeah. or at least as chief of staff because their whole thing is empowering nonprofits to do what they're gifted at. They're passionate about They're purposeful, not to, you know, draw out like red tape to keep, make it harder for them to do what they do, but actually celebrate them, support them, get behind them. Like basically like let them fly on their own two wings and like make those connecting points where they're like, how can we support you be the best you can be? So it was a, it was a paradigm shift for the whole organization, I believe. And so I'm really, really grateful for him, but seeing that it's, it's so important. And then from my trips to Uganda and, and, and Congo, maybe you can speak to this because how you said the orphanage system is a, a a broken system. I would say, well, I have a friend that helped start maybe 10 quote unquote orphanages in Africa. And I say he's a friend, he's an acquaintance, but he told me the story about how these people would ask for money, they would give it to them. And then all of a sudden, more than half, probably 70%, 80%, 90% of the, the quote unquote orphans that are at the home are, have one or more parents. So they're not truly orphaned. Right. um, But their families maybe want to take care of them and can't. So sending them to an orphanage, now they'll have food, they'll have education, um, they'll have an opportunity where it's not as much of a financial burden on them at home, or they don't want to take care of them. Uh, But one of the horror stories I heard of and saw even with my own eyes was like showing up at one uh, whenever it was unannounced and it was empty. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there was a trip of Westerners coming to the orphanage. And now all of a sudden it was like, they were borrowing kids from like the school, neighboring towns, everything else to fill it up. And then to basically just have a show, uh, what's that? A show and pony show. How are you saying? Dog and pony show. Yeah. Dog and pony show where it wasn't even a functioning orphanage. It was just like a, a money thing. So back to your point of like, even seeing the child sponsorship thing, there are nonprofits out there that aren't, aren't doing it right or that are trying to do it right with well, inti- well-intentioned, good-hearted people, but not follow through and accountability and all these things to where things can happen. And even the nonprofit can be get scammed. And so I think it's big that you're saying, um, you know, you want to empty orphanages. That- yeah. Because I mean, if we put money in the orphanage, that's where the children are going to go. Yep. If we give money to the single mother, who can raise them on her own, then the children can stay there because it's a pretty big price to pay for being poor. Yeah. I mean, if you're too poor to care for your kid, then I mean, what a what a, I mean, they want their children just as much as we want our children, and their children want their parents as much as we want ours. So right. um, it's the most humane thing to do is yeah. to get them back with their family. It's also 10 times cheaper 
to keep a child in a family than it is to put them in an institution. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, there's an, there's an economic benefit to it. But, you know, I mean, I, I think about the overcoming thing. You know, I think if we all took a second to think about what is our no more, what mm. will we not stand for? And then we can find like-minded people that are working toward that. And you can start hanging around people that are doing something for the world. And I mean, it just, that's where the paradigm shift is. So yeah. when people get down, it's like you're not around the right kind of people making a difference. I mean, that's where I personally think the magic is. The magic is in like-minded actors acting. Mm, I really like that. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I really like that. Honestly, starting a nonprofit was, was hard. But at the same time, that was my my no more. Uh, I had buried a young boy, one and a half years old, that died of dirty water. And he was denied hospital treatment, not once, but twice. His mom was told he was too dir dirty to come in here. Second time, they said, we won't waste our medicine on a, a pygmy animal. So like the, the discrimination. So 10 years later, like we're, we're going to build him a hospital and a school, and it's going to be an Andy Bo's honor, like that, that young boy. But the thing is, is that Fighting can take so much out of you uh, physically, mentally, because uh, it's just strenuous. But I, I have friends that are in nine to five jobs or cubicles and things like that. And <laughs> that can be defeating and demoralizing and or whatever it is. But man, when I found founded the nonprofit and found like charity work and just altruism and doing the right thing, uh, because the rest doesn't matter. Just do the next right thing. That's it. And uh, don't make it too big. Think 10 years ahead. Just what can you do today? Have your head and, on the And swivel. there really are enough nonprofits out there. It's really just a matter of getting behind one like your friend's doing. You know, get behind one and push. Yeah. And let's make them more successful instead, right. of, instead of making more. But yeah, if we all thought about what our no more is, I mean, you could find people that are working toward that. Hmm. So what's, when did you start this? I started it 22 years ago. Wow. And I am you. not tired. That's great. I am still yes. as passionate. I mean, the, actually, the end is in sight. It's unbelievable. We're actually going to be able to solve 2040. the problem. 2040. That's not too far not away. Not too far away, especially if we keep working and, you know, the governments are on track. You know, governments don't want um, orphanages anymore either. And so uh, developing the developing world is getting rid of orphanages. Yeah. So you know, America got rid of orphanages in the 60s. And we went to the foster care system, as did the other um, Western countries I was talking about earlier. And we went to the foster care system. And, and as we all know, that the foster care system is not really working. Foster families quit within the first year. 60% yep. of them quit within the first year. The average child Smart. is moved seven times. Yep. This is our solution. Wow. It's seven times. So we know it's broken. But in the developing world, they're going from orphanages to kinship care. So they're going with mm. an auntie or a sister or a cousin or a grandmother and that is working. Oh, sweet. And so, yeah. Great. I thought yeah. it sounded like it would just from the name of it, just being with family. Hello. Being with family. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And supporting that one. And then, uh, you know, of course, asking the child, who will you be safe with? They all, they all, they know. Mm. Girls as young as six, no. Boys as young as eight, no. Who they're going to be safe with. And they want to be in a safe place. They're not going to tell you that they want to go to a an abuser's home. They yeah. want to go to somebody's home where they're safe and where they can have school and get a chance to break out of poverty. So having the kids part and parcel of the solution has been one of my favorite things. Yeah, it's it's got to be. And just thinking about that, I know that from my work, or at least being around the foster care system enough that they always want reunification with family. Yeah. Like that's the goal, that's reunification the goal. with 
a family member, blood relative. And something unique about the pygmy people that I lived with was, I think it was the Guardian and some other studies said that those, the, the fathers are the best fathers in the world. Statistically, they hold their children more than 50% of the time. Wow. Like uh, more than the mother, you know? And I got to see that. I got to witness it with my own eyes and them putting kids in my hand and, and all the dads holding them. And, but it was so different than the, even the neighboring people groups, uh, which was like, whoa, what's different about this? But there was a mother that died and it was real sad. And she was breastfeeding at the time uh, when she passed. Well, I was thinking, oh no, what's going to happen? Are they going to put this kid up for adoption or is it going to be alone? Like what's going to happen? And before I even like got done worrying and thinking options through another mother who had been breastfeeding already picked up that little one and started breastfeeding her child, like didn't miss a meal, not one single meal. And they don't put their kids up for, for adoption or to orphanages, like just somebody in the village immediately takes up that child and then they'll start talking and communicating like who's going to be the long-term one. But I just thought that was, you know, they're closer to, um, original man than us, right. Yeah. Living in our boxes and, and on our technology and everything else. But they're just, they, they share together, suffer together. And their Swahili proverb is if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And like they model that by the way they live. They don't let someone, you know, be alone. Like everyone belongs in the community, has a role in the community. So I love hearing this. You can keep going, please, about uh, uh, kinship or how orphanage is going to be obsolete and uh, by creating what? A better system. A better system. Yeah. Like you said, like a, like a real natural system. It's very natural for them to go to somebody that looks like them, sounds like them, laughs like them, talks like them. Um, I think that's been one of the... Uh, I think that's why the solution's working because it's people that they can relate to. It's their family. Yeah. Well, I wonder, well, here would be a part that we could maybe look at with the foster care system. It seems like sometimes when a child gets taken from their mother or father, from whether it's addiction or abuse or things like that, the state has stepped in before and taken children away from a grandmother, a grandfather, an aunt, an uncle you know, people like that because they weren't necessarily in and approved by the foster care system. They weren't exactly. already trained by exactly. the state. And so now that child, I would think that's, if it's not a, if they haven't already experienced a, a major trauma, this is at least another micro trauma, if not another major trauma by, well, grandma wants to take care of me or my uncle wants to take care of me and then being taken away to a, a stranger's family ridiculous yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense it doesn't yeah. it makes no sense right? right why why would we think that that's a better solution so yeah. we're hip to it now we have less children entering the foster care system um into strangers homes every single day so uh kinship care is starting to take hold here in the united states as well um it's uh you know we have to pay these families like we would pay a stranger to take care of them we need to support them yeah. we need to do some family strengthening um but yeah this is a, this is a solvable problem yeah. I mean, yeah, the families should, if they're stepping up in that way, they should get just like a foster care family Absolutely. gets paid whatever, a few hundred bucks a month or right. 600 bucks a month. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And the demonizing because the system is bad and demonizing, you know, bio families and demonizing 
um, case managers. You know, it's like the there's such a lack of attaboys in the system. Mm. It's, it's kind of shocking how little thanks these people are getting. Well, you saying that, what would be something that could be done to give well, so attaboys example, and give thanks? Yeah. So that's one of the things that uh, our organization's doing is to we get their are- gratitude thermometer up. Yeah. I mean, like, thank you. It goes so far. I think Nietzsche said, if you pray nothing else, that's the perfect prayer is thank you. Hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, if you ever see a case manager, instead of telling her how bad the system is and how messed up her job is, and I mean, this is why they don't stay very long. Yeah. But how about thanking somebody? Thank you. Thank yous go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And we all know someone like you that's running a nonprofit, that's talking about other people, that's thinking about other people. A thank you to you is the way that we can really transform you know, to me, it used to be when I when I got into the nonprofit space, it used to be about generosity. And I was meeting all these people and they were so generous and they were putting their time and their heart and their money and their megaphone all against these people. It was just like so beautiful. But over the years, what I've learned is that it's not about generosity. It's about justice. It's not fair that we have roads and we have electricity and we have schools and they don't. It's just not fair. So we can't just throw crumbs to uh, to people that don't have the opportunities that we have anymore. It's now our job to step up and do it ourselves because governments aren't going to do it. Churches aren't going to do it. The markets aren't going to correct it. We have to take this into our own hands and act. It's the only way to do it. So I recommend finding your no more finding a nonprofit that's doing it and doing something with them every single month, whether it's a volunteer a few hours a month and like, don't get me started on the volunteer thing, but, um, or donating to them every month. That is the way to really support. Do you guys at Miracle Foundation have a monthly giving club? We do. We have a monthly giving club. We have an annual giving club and it is. Is there a name for that or anything that people can go um, look up? Yeah. We have um, heartbeat contributors because it's like a constant, you know, we need every, yeah, Yeah. it's constant. And then we have a Miracle Village, which which is um, underwriting the cost of getting one child from an institution back into their family. Family. Um, so we have those two giving circles, uh, and you know every nonprofit would love um, monthly donations because, yeah. gosh, when I went from the corporate world to the nonprofit world, I'm like, how do you budget here? I yeah. mean, this is confusing. <laughs> yeah. Like, how are you supposed to budget if right. you don't know where your money's coming from? Yeah. And so that monthly donor, we know we can count on it. We we can budget against it. It's like a it's like a big big deal yeah. at Miracle. I think. Well, that's great, and I think maybe you could speak to this, or we can just chat about it because. Um, I've seen some nonprofits, well, someone, uh, died during COVID and they lost their number one donor that was basically giving the nonprofit 80, 90% of their funds every year. So then they had to lay people off being dependent on one donor or other nonprofits that are dependent on these major gifts from one or two people. Like, at least from my perspective, having an army of support or like a tribe of supporters that are like, we believe in this. I would rather have a thousand, 10,000 donors that are giving every month. Um, that everybody's part of the solution than one donor that's given maybe even more than they are, which I mean, both are good, right? Right. It's great. But having that support of everybody feeling part of it. But I think for sometimes I've heard this several times, I actually was just at a tournament on uh, Saturday, major world champion jujitsu guys in Dallas and um, Sunday. And people were coming up to me, two, two guys uh, came up at the same time. They'd watch me fight. They knew my story, had heard the podcast, very kind. But then they said, you know, well, we've always wanted to do something, but we couldn't do much. You know, like you, you probably have these donors that give all this money. Mine wouldn't make an impact. And I'm like, what are y'all talking about? Like, uh, I, 
I would love for you to be part of it. Like anything you can give and like a dollar there goes so far. So if it was five bucks a month, one Starbucks coffee that you're not given, like you're part of this, you're joining this and like you're, you've joined the fight, you've linked arm in arm with us and you're saying this is important. So, uh, don't feel, I don't know how to say that, but don't feel like you can't make an impact because it's only five bucks. It's like, no, that's $5. And that's awesome. Like, please uh, be part yeah, of it. You know, you know who it makes an impact to is it makes an impact to yourself. Yeah. And that's, but it's only an impact to yourself. It's if it's a stretch. So if mm. you're going to throw, that's what I mean about the, that's kind of where I get to the, you know, it's like, if you're going to throw money at the poor and, you know, $5 a month, I mean, it's like, really like, come on, yeah, get into it. You know, like yeah. lean into it. We can do this. We can do it if we do it together. But if we're all half-hearted, if we're all like, you know, throwing a few coins in the hat, it's really not going to transform. Hmm. And those big dollars that you're talking about, that is transformational money. That's true. It does. It transforms the organization. So um, if we all did it, it would work. Yeah. If we all leaned into it, it would work faster. But if we're just going to kind of half halfway do it, it's just never, we're never really going to get there. Yeah. Fightfortheforgotten.org. You can go check out Fight for the Forgotten, the foundation that I started. It is my passion project. It is something that I love so much because of the people we get to help. We get to help the pygmy tribe who adopted me in help themselves. We say opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great, but opportunity is just always better. That's why we've drilled something like 80 water wells already providing over 30,000 people clean water. We've started sustainable farms, bought back over 3,000 acres of land for the people who originally owned it, put it in their name. We built 32 homes, and now we're about to start a health center, a school, and a marketplace. They're going to have a maternity ward, a pediatrics unit, and a dental suite. You can join the Fight for the Forgotten Fight Club at fightfortheforgotten.org. We would love, love, love to invite you on this journey to join this fight arm in arm with us. Our fight club, it's a monthly giving club. You can give $5 or more a month and that empowers us to empower people. Thank you for being on this journey with us. I invite you to come along for the ride. It's been absolutely epic, putting love and compassion in action and fighting for people. Fightfortheforgotten.org. Join our fight club. Well, Maybe you can speak to this um, because I was in Africa when Ebola hit and um, had to do all this stuff before COVID was out, right? And everyone was fearful and uh, mask and and temperatures and all that. But I got home um, and all the media about Ebola, which wasn't going to spread like, like COVID did and, and things, um, the tension it got, the, the world uh, focus it got and response. I think I watched your Ted talk and you said responsibility. Yeah. And what is it? It's the, the ability ab to respond. Yes. Responsibility, the ability to respond. It's like the whole world had the ability to respond to that. And then also with COVID and then all these things. And I'm just thinking, man, if we just started picking one or two or three, and there was like a solid focus from the world, whether it's the government's leading it or individuals leading it or nonprofits leading it, or the water crisis, or uh, orphanages, and, and getting children and and with families, like we'd solve everything probably in like this in a year, this in a year, this in a year. Absolutely, there's a beautiful. I always think about it. So, did you ever see the movie Finding Nemo? 
I honestly haven't. I'm sorry. Oh, it's so I need good. to see it. You're I just went. I just went snorkeling it. in Hawaii, and they were telling me that's Nemo. Oh like, yeah, awesome. you totally got to see it. But I'll there's watch. this scene in Nemo where all these fish get caught in a net. Okay. And they say, "Swim down." Swim, and they all start swimming in the same direction. And because they all start swimming in the same direction, they break that net. Oh, wow. And they get out. It's because they were all in formation. And mm. that is what's missing right now. That is the secret sauce to right now. There's your nonprofit. There's my nonprofit. There's 160 nonprofits, like probably within the, a mile radius. But we're not working together. Mm. It's the Achilles heel. And so when we can work together and all fly in formation, and there's something called the Sustainable Development Goals. Mm. 17 goals. Every country in the world has agreed to these goals. This is basically the world's to-do list. If we all focused on one of those goals, one or more of those goals, we would be, in essence, swimming down and breaking out of this net that we're in. Right. Yeah. I remember I was in Congo and Joseph Kabila, he was the quote-unquote president there, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, his number one thing on the agenda was making sure every... Congolese native, every countryman of, of Congo would, would have clean water. They're one of the most water rich countries on the planet. It's the rainforest. Yet less than 1% of the people had access to clean water. I remember us working and the officials and everything else making it so hard on us to even drill one water well. Like, uh, like I hear the rumors about Austin, like, uh, what is that? The, um, building plans or permits yeah. and how hard it is to build here. Yeah. It was like the hardest thing to get approval to like drill a water. Well. We're like, we're trying to do your president's number one thing on the agenda is getting people clean water. Like don't slow us down, like support us, help us. And um, no. So I, I wonder what you say about a united front joining forces, like partnerships among nonprofits. I'm really grateful. Now we have three or four great partnerships coming, but I've been doing this 10 years and it was a little strange uh, that sometimes nonprofits weren't as open-minded or welcoming to like partner together. But I think you're right. Like it's the only way we're going to make the biggest difference. It's just a new paradigm. You know, it's just the next right thing. That it's it's the reason it's missing is because we are in a new place. So it wasn't missing ten years ago because there weren't enough people doing nonprofits ten years ago. Today, there's enough people doing nonprofits. We're just not working. We're still working in silos. Hmm. So like in my uh, uh, in, in our work, you know, a, a mom dies during childbirth mm. and the children end up in an orphanage. Well, that's not a child protection issue. That is a health care issue. Or there's no school in the village. And so they send their children to orphanages so they can go to school. Well, that's not a child protection issue. That's an education issue. Mm. So bringing, st starting to partner with other organizations, that's why if you look at the sustainable development goals, they really are all interrelated. So they, there's there's groups that are for no poverty. There's groups that are for for education. There's groups for that are for gender equality. There's groups for for clean water. They really all go hand in hand. Yeah. And so we're at. I say we're at a pivotal moment in history because we've had some breakthroughs that we've needed to have for a hundred years, two hundred years, like the Me Too movement and the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, there's some cracks in the wall now that we just really can break down some walls. Yeah. What do you think? Um, for you, your life, or the life of the nonprofit, if you would be able to look back, maybe you know, coming towards the end of your life, and you're able to look back and think about the what imprint or impact that you left on the world through Miracle Foundation, but through your life, 
like what 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 is it that you hope um, to do, and not so much what you hope to do, but the impact, the meaning, the like who you are, not not so much about what you did, but but who you were. I mean, love. Love. It's the name of the game. It's at the end of the day, um, we really are all one. And if I could be instrumental at all in showing people that you are exactly the same as that girl I put on that wooden bed, you're hurting like she's hurt. You know, if we could, if, if, if that message of we are all one or that love, um, man, I, I could, I could die a happy woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to ask another question, but I wanted to show you something because of what you just said. Uh, we are all one. I found out a couple days ago that I'm going to be on, uh, I think, the cover of Black Belt Magazine. <laughs> so I do some awesome. photo shoots, but they're asking for something. What's that picture say right there? It says, we are all one. We are all one. <laughs> and it's the the flags from every country in the world on a banner. And that was after my last fight. I uh, had that so I could stretch it out afterwards and just show people. And honestly, that sounds like that was my idea. I took it from a fighter about 10, 20 years earlier that was in Japan. Um, Ginki Sudo was his name. And he had an iconic fight. And afterwards, he held up that that flag. And so I was doing it in honor of him, but also the message. Because if we did know that we were all one, we would never do what we're doing to Mother uh. Earth. Yeah. We would never do what we're doing to each other with yeah. the Ukraine and Russia. We would never um, consume too much, yeah. right? And and so these these um, transformational conversations, like ten years ago, it was all about hunger, right? There was all this you know information about hunger and getting people hungry, and what what that does when you have that kind of conversations, it leaves people out that aren't hungry. Well, I'm not hungry, right? Yeah. So what you know what does it affect me? We're not all one if, if it's about hunger. We are all one when we talk about how we grow, share, and consume food. Mm. Now we have a conversation that the world can have yeah. because we all have to figure out how to share, grow, and consume food. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I, I think if we really thought about that and we really acted like we were all one, um, it'd be a different world. Yeah. I wonder what are some conversation points. Like if I took what you just said and tried to share it with someone at lunch. I mean, I would, I would maybe think about saying, you know, this, I don't know, the world's kind of one big neighborhood now. We're so interconnected and, and there's all these different boundaries or borders, but really we're all under the same blue sky. And so we are all one and we have so many more, what is that, um, commonalities than differences. I mean, we have so much more in common. Yeah. And... Yeah, you're you're getting me thinking, so thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have I have an anecdote for you. Okay, um, I like that. So my partner, um, CEO of Miracle, her name is Leslie Beasley, and Leslie Beasley and I we do we try to do four things for everybody we come in contact with. Okay. So because everybody loves these four things, okay. they love to be acknowledged for who they are. Hmm. They need to be um, to know that there's a commitment to them that we're committed to them, that we have confidence in them, and that we accept them for exactly who they are. And so it's not about these huge, you know, growing your nonprofit. It's, not, it's, it's, it's really all about that one person that you're sitting in front of. If we can acknowledge them, accept them, tell them that we're committed to them and tell them that we have confidence in them, they change. And I challenge wow. you to do it with your children. Mm. They, they change in front of your eyes when you give them. We call them the blessings. When you give them these four blessings, it really does transform who people are. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, 
Amy was going to be here. Amy Edwards is her name, and she's uh, my partner, my podcast producer, uh, but I plan on asking her to marry me soon. Oh, congratulations. And thank you. And when you're saying that about the kids, um, she's got a 13-year-old and a 17-year-old, and I've been around for coming up on two years mm -hmm. with them, mm -hmm. and uh, I got their blessing to ask their mom to marry me, which is great. Amy's parents have passed, so, so I went to her daughter's. And it's just been really special, but also you're talking about changing in front of your eyes. Like Gigi two years ago when she was 11 is is way different than Gigi at 13 years old. And since I don't have children, um, I, I'm like, whoa, this is all new to me, you know? Like, uh, and Sydney, 17, you know, she's gone through like five or 10 different hairstyles and different colors and she's uh, an artist. And I think those are really powerful, profound things to do. Um, acknowledge and, and them, accept them, you're committed to them, and you and have, you have confidence, confidence in, them. in them. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I even sometimes, you know, I'll even write down, like, what is it about them that I can acknowledge? Who who are they that is so special? And then, you you know, you pull out, and they become more of that. Yeah. Even though they already are that. Right. But they, I don't know, and, and they don't know you're doing it, and they blossom. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram. I'm so I'm so impressed by Amy's girls. Like they're they're beautiful, they're sweet, they're kind, all this stuff. But then when 13 hit, it was like, whoa, like <laughs> now she doesn't want hugs from from Amy and and uh as sweet, but she's still that that sweethearted girl. She's just yeah. going through all this stuff, yeah, new friends and becoming a cheerleader. Um well back to Miracle Foundation. Uh what has been the progression or the the learning experience? Uh. Because there's probably been different phases, different renditions of like, we were doing this, but then we realized we had to pivot. Right. Because pivot and pivot and pivot yeah. and pivot. Right. Yeah. So the secret to pivoting is keeping the North Star. Mm. So you can pivot all day long as long as the North Star stays the same. And the North Star for us has always been to empower children to reach their full potential and to work in the best interest of the child. And so when I put a orphan girl on a wooden bed on Mother's Day, I immediately thought, International Adoption Agency. I mean, obviously, it's a business. I can run it. I, you know, I mean, I, it was so odd. But it wasn't going to scale. I was going to only have be able to help 20 kids a year. And was it really helping them? And why would I take them out of India when they, you know, are from India? So, so pivot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Started taking care of kids living in institutions, started really improving institutions and measuring how institutions were doing, created this franchise methodology. Like this is how to run an orphanage. Why is every orphanage running different? Right. <laughs> Let's put a franchise together. This is your operational model. We, you know, we did that in orphanage after or 300 orphanages we were, we were, wow. had franchised. Um, but then we had to pivot. Because we learned, like your friend in Uganda was telling you, 80% of the children had a living mother or, or parent or yep. relative, and um, they wanted to go home. Mm. They didn't want to live in the best orphanage in the yeah. world. They wanted to go home. And the struggle is the mom wants to be there to get an education and to be fed better and you know, take some of the burden off of her. Although she's probably heart sick that her kids aren't at home and the kids are homesick, but the mom just is rationalizing. You know, They need to be there. Yeah. What a, what a price to pay for being poor. And so, so it, and like I said, 10 times cheaper to empower that woman to keep her kids than it is to keep them in an institution. Talk about an aha moment. So total yeah. pivot, 
total pivot. We emptied 300 orphanages. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Got them back with their Started families. Started them and then emptied them. Well, I we like didn't it. start them. We supported them. Oh, yeah, them. We, supported yeah, them and yeah. then emptied them. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then helped empty them. So um, so what's that process like whenever you make that pivot, but then not even so much about the pivot, the actual practicality of emptying an orphanage, orphanage and it's 10 times cheaper to keep them at home. So now I'm thinking about the program and the process and the system of you are supporting one place or let's say 300 orphanages. You're supporting 300 orphanages. Now you're going to empty them. They maybe have a hundred kids right now. You got to support 3000 mothers or cousins, nephews, or I mean, uncles and aunts and grandmothers and grandparents. So what's that process like? Because that seems like a lot more than 300. Yeah, that's exactly, that was exactly the question our donors asked. Like, oh my gosh, how are we going to measure? How are we going to make sure that they're safe? And so we use technology. Great. Yeah, there's something we call, it's called a Thrive Scale. We measure them. It's very much like a, like a adoption where the child tells us where they want to live. Like, who can you live with? Invite them to this meeting. You know, we'll pay for their transportation. We'll pay for their lunch and breakfast and dinner or whatever, and get them here. I mean, and people would come. They'd come hungry. They'd come barefoot. They'd come dirty, but they would come. They were coming for the children, and they wanted their children back. And what they, what most of them said was, if you can guarantee their education, I, will, I would love to have them back. Wow. But I'm not, I can't, they can't not be educated. And so that was a commitment that we made to the, to the family and to the children. And so we, um, um, work with our social workers on the app. It's all, you know, on, it's all technology based, but they look at five areas of like what a family has, who's around that child. You know, is there some weird uncle lurking around waiting for the girl to come home? You know, like who's, is she going to be safe? Yeah. And then where's the household income? Where where are they? um, Where's the education? Where's the school? How's the health and mental health of the family? And is there a counselor that we can put them, get them with, even if it's online? And then of course, um, the, uh, the, um, and the economy of the family. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's like a process, case by case management right. of It's not of a cookie cutter, cutter solution or blue, blueprint. Like there's every person's unique. Every child's unique. Every household and family are unique. Definitely. And there's trends. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's definitely, you know, about seven things we need that most families need. And so we right. get, you get really, really good at making sure those seven things are happening. But um, it's a process and it's a, it's a, a technology solution that's really working. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. Well, congratulations well, on successfully pivoting. And thanks. Yeah, it's the name of the game. And then You know, I think some people would just call it quits instead of pivot. You know, yeah, I, I don't I know. I almost if you've used seen to that. be embarrassed to pivot. I almost used to think, oh my gosh, are we making a big did we make a big mistake? Did we but you know, you just Is do all like this other you stuff said worthless or meaningless. Yeah, yeah, right. But you just do the next best thing. Yeah. And then the last pivot, of course, was we've been doing this work in the orphanage system transforming the orphanage system into a kinship system. What about this foster care system in our mm. country? Mm. You know, 20 years ago, it was perfectly appropriate to go to another country and help. But now there's people in America that's like, oh, my gosh, we really have a problem with our system here. Yeah. So moving into the United States system has been um, incredibly rewarding. And incre- I mean, just talk about grateful. Yeah. <laughs> They're all so grateful. Wow. That's awesome. Going back to whenever you were on your first trip to India and you said you knew it wasn't going to be enough to break the cycle of poverty for her. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to see what, what you have experienced or seen or have knowledge of that, that 
takes them to that next level to where it is enough because with our work, at least, um, especially in Uganda right now, we're not trying to be siloed. We've gone from land to water to food. So sustainable farming, irrigation wells, latrines for sanitation and hygiene, um, like hand-washing stations. Uh, we're about to do a water reservoir, the health clinic, the school, so medical and education and partnering with all these different nonprofits. But thinking about having the basic needs met and education, like it might come down to the individual basis. Are they going to decide now that they've had this opportunity that their family hasn't had before to break out of the cycle? But I do know from the conditioning and generational, like just being stuck in that, um, it will be hard for some to, to break out of it. So when you went back to that point, what do you mean? And what is the, how do you, how do you provide an opportunity? Cause charity can be great, but I feel like opportunity is always better. So creating an opportunity for them to break that cycle. So obviously there's like not a silver bullet or a magic bullet. But what we have learned over the years is that when women are empowered, mm. the family and the village do better. Yeah. And you know, you don't want to you don't want to like use women as an instrument to get to a, a an outcome. But if women are are if women are not empowered and they don't have the right to work and they don't have the right to make decisions and they, you know, they don't have the right and they, there's dowries and you know, all that stuff when 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 if that doesn't break it's just not gonna work yeah yeah i mean like i said it's not the only thing that needs to happen but you know when you take care of a man you take care of an individual when you take care of a woman you take care of a family and that that's just the facts yeah 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 for sure i i love that um that's how i've had my mom saved on my phone <laughs> since <laughs> Best i was mom six, ever since i was 16 uh and i think amy's the second i mean like she's the best mom also and I think you're so right about that. Um, one thing we're, we are doing is we have uh, women's empowerment and quality and then um, conflict resolution uh, training. That's our other partner, Conscious Coalition, that's coming in with Project Cure and Engineers Without Borders and Fight for the Forgotten. And it's so, it's so true. Like with, with them being um, with women as a whole and the, the little girls, I mean, because even the water it's, it's not just a human issue. It's a, it's a women and children's issue where there the women can't go to work because they have to go collect water or a girl selected to not go to school because the brothers are sent to school first. And then the girl has to go collect water. And it's like, man, like, so that's what I mean. Like yeah. that until that is fixed yeah. until that is and so, like, how many women are on the on the council, on the village council? Yeah, how, that you know, like, getting women in positions of voting, getting people, getting people, uh, women in positions of power. Right. That should be part of the strategy. Any strategy. Yeah. 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 We have a, a Edith and a Liberty that are from that area that are women that were so poor and went to the capital city, got college educated, and now they have such a passion to go back in there and change it. And so the the conversations they're having, we're, we're calling them transformational conversations and conflict, not resolution, but conflict transformation mm -hmm. and women's equality and all these things. But how do you think for, for the Miracle Foundation, how, what's the best way you see it to, to empower women 
young women, the children that are that are getting back home, what can you do to support them? Well, so, you know, we talk about the five domains. So getting the, you know, if there's a school nearby, if there's a place for the women to work, if there's a way for them to get some health and mental health, um, physical support, you know, it's that's what I was talking about, the non-siloed. You know, it's like yeah. I don't want to just focus on water or children or you know we got to focus on healthcare we got to mm-hmm. focus on mental health we got to focus on education we got to focus on income generation and we got to focus on um, living arrangements and living conditions and so those are the five that we focus on we find those to be holistic for the women that we support we started you know it's all about the children so it was all about the rights of the child for so many years because they were living in institutions right and then when they went back to their families we realized oh it's really about the mother as well so yeah. let's make sure the women have you know you don't want just educated girls you want educated women yeah. you don't want just kids to have good mental health uh, support you want women to have mental health support so right. and that they're heard they're seen they're just like what you're saying support it because um you know it's human nature and i've been surprised by it sometimes but then other times i've been like i step back and i'm like oh that makes sense you know sometimes when i've seen children be super supported and and, and cared about i think that a mother and father love that and want that. But then if an organization is only doing that and forgetting about them, there's an opportunity for resentment or... Absolutely. Or, what you know, they're doing everything for them. But if they could just help us, I'll be able to take part in helping them even more. Yep. That's right. Yeah. That's the secret sauce. And, you know, not to demas, you know, emasculate anybody. It's like we don't want to, you know, it's like the, the man is... It, it, we're never going to get there without men. So it's not like not taking care of men is going to be, you know, like the opposite of patriarchy is not matriarchy. The opposite of patriarchy is fraternity, hmm. is equality. Yeah. So you don't want to go from a patriarchal society to a matriarchal society. That is, that's, that's just a horse of a different color. It's just like different. It's just not, it's, it's, it's equally as bad. Yeah. Yeah. So you're really going for equality and fraternity. That's what you're going for. I so, like that. yeah. Yeah. But patriarchy is a, a dangerous thing. And that's oh. really one of the things, you know, it's not even, it's not even good for men. It's not even good yeah. for them. They don't even like it. They're in some box. You know, it's like, it's kind of like you um, becoming a parent. I mean, how awesome is that? Like, what a beautiful thing for you to be able to be with these girls and raise these children. And we, you know, we've, you know, in these patriarchal societies, men don't get to do that. They're in a box too. Yeah. It's not good for them either. That's not great for they 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 should get this opportunity to raise children. It's a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful thing to do. Yeah. Are you a mother? I'm not. You're not? No. Okay. But no. you've got a bunch that you've helped. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I'm kind of in that same boat where I told Amy, like, I'm I'm okay to not have biological children. Um, but if I get to be a fatherly figure, I know I'm not gonna be their dads, but if I can just be a good man to your daughters, um, like that's that's more than enough to me. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. No, I decided when I was 30 not to have children. When I met the orphans, I thought, mm. oh, my gosh, if I have my own kids, I got to focus on my own kids and let me focus on other people's children for a while and see how it, that goes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been great. Yeah. And so not to get too personal, but would you have considered it a sacrifice or one of not a sacrifice at all? Like one of the best things you could have done? Not a sacrifice at all. Yeah. Nothing I've done. Like I said, I have everything that money can't buy. Wow, and um, I know there's this song you're probably too young to know, but it's it's not he's not heavy, he's my brother. It was like a song in the '70s, and it's a, you know the the picture was this guy carrying this other guy out of the out of um, 
a dangerous situation. It's like he's not heavy. He's my brother. It's not. Oh. It's it's not heavy. They're, you know, I'm, we we're one. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, so then let's. Um, I mean, there's a lot of social conditioning out there in the world, and there's. I've seen women that I know that are in their early thirties and being pressured to go ahead and have children, go ahead and do this. And and it's, uh, you're going to regret it later, different things like that. And so I'm just asking for you personally, maybe someone's listening to this, mm -hmm. um, and they're in this, whether it's, they're being pressured for it, or they're wondering if they'll regret it, or how did you rise up and overcome maybe social conditioning or pressures from friends or family or anything like that, knowing your true North, your North star. I asked my mom. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. I said, Mom, I, I think I think I'm decided not to have children. What do you think about that? And she said, you're one of the best decision makers I've ever known. If that's your decision, that's the right one. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Confirmation. Yeah. Man, she, was, uh, she had confidence in me, right? Yeah. One of the yeah. four blessings. Confidence in you, and she, she saw your calling, mm -hmm. and you walking it out. Mm-hmm. It's really special. Yeah. Wow. What's your mother's name? Her name was, was Lanita. Yeah. Lanita. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you to Lanita. Yeah, yeah. For supporting you and uh, yeah, having confidence. Yeah, in you. she did. Yeah. Well, so on on ways to support, I want to I want to make sure we get this in there because ways to support Miracle Foundation, you, your heart, your calling, your board, your donors, um, and mostly how people can serve the people y'all serve. What's the, what's the top few ways they can support? Yeah, like do yourself a favor and support a nonprofit. That's yeah. that's what I say, say to everybody. So you know, if they if they, if if people want to see an end of institutions in our lifetime and a family for every child by twenty forty, a um, family for every child. That's a beautiful name. Is that right? I mean, right? Yeah. A family for every child. I mean, what would our world look like if yeah. we if we gave every child a strong family? Mm. There'd be a lot less uh, men incarcerated. A lot less people incarcerated, a lot less people on drugs, a mm. lot less homelessness. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, m more people in school. I mean, the, the, um, it would be such a beautiful gift to do. And it's a lot easier to take care of a kid, raise a good kid than to fix a, a broken man. So, Whoa. um, if Can you they say want, that again? yeah, it was Frederick Douglass said that it's easier to raise good children than it is to fix broken men. Wow. Yeah. That's profound. It's it, right. Yeah. yeah. So um, monthly donation, huge. Uh, we call it it's many heart, money, megaphone, and minutes. Okay. Money is monthly or annually, so we can budget against it. That's so we just know exactly how many kids we can say yes to. Um, megaphone, share share our work, go and, you know, repost our social media, give mm -hmm. us a call. And then minutes, think about it for a second. Like, who do you know? How can you support um, if you think about what you can do, what are your unique gifts? And and the reason that's so important is because, you know, there are things that happen that I would never ask anybody. So like I asked this, this person said, you know, what can I do? I, I didn't know what to ask her for. And she said, you know, my, I, I thought about it for a minute and my, um, my cousin is in charge of People Magazine. You know, she's an editor at People Magazine. I mean, would that help if you got an art, you know, like that? I would have yes. never asked her for that. Yeah. But she thought about it. She gave me some minutes. Yeah. And so money, megaphone, and minutes um, is what we usually ask for. I, I love that. And maybe what we'll do right now, what is one of your favorite stories that's come from the Miracle Foundation? Maybe one of the special people you've helped or one of the things that you never thought was possible but happened 
Um, maybe it was early on, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was midway through when you're making one of the pivots, but what, what was one thing that you were just like, whoa, like, well, I got to take part of this. Yeah. Well, I will say that, um, I went back to India in May of this year and, um, went to celebrate with the little girl that I put on that wooden bed 22 years ago. She what? graduated from college. What? She graduated as a teacher. Wow. And I mean that, like what a miracle, right? Yes. Yeah. So she is she's, doing beautiful she's this beautiful young lady she wants to give back she's a, a teacher now and i mean that is one of the it's like a miracle it's a miracle I, I don't know if you technically consider this the first miracle no the miracle foundation i don't just know because there's, there's you just, met her and yeah had that moment yeah right when. yeah and then the Goodness. other thing um that we have been able to do that i'm just so proud of is you know when you know, the example is if you're walking down the street and you see a child drowning in the river, the only appropriate response is to save that child and get in the river and get that baby out. Um, but what happens with nonprofits so much is they get in the river and they save that baby and then they see the next baby and they save that baby and they see the next baby. And they, we spend so much time in the river saving the children that we never look up on the bridge and see the person throwing them in in the first place. Mm. And so... Um, the last few oh. years, we have been able to stop the um, actual implementation of the work and support other organizations that are doing that work and take a step back and really look at the bridge, get on the bridge and figure out how are we going to stop these kids from ever entering the system in the first place. And that has been the coolest thing. So we work yeah. in prevention. How do we keep kids from entering the orphanage system? How do we keep kids from entering the foster care system? And um, that, to me, is the coolest thing that we've been able to do over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm incredibly grateful for you. Thanks. My Back at you. gratitude thermometer is is, <laughs> is bursting and uh, really grateful for your time today. And yeah, looking back on some of those ways, money, megaphone, and minutes. If some of our listeners right now can take a few minutes, if you know someone uh, that Caroline or the Miracle Foundation needs to know, please uh, meditate on that for a minute and see how you can help support them. Also, how you can become a monthly donor, but also how you can um, be a megaphone. One easy way would be, I guess, people sharing out this podcast. Absolutely. If, if they know of uh, someone that needs to hear your story and about Miracle Foundation, uh, please share this with friends, family. You can shoot them a text, post it on social media. All those things and you can also, uh, at least on Instagram, you can use the little link tab and you can link it straight to not just this podcast, but you can link it to the Miracle Foundation, maybe even the Monthly Giving Club, uh, so that you can support Caroline and her amazing venture through Miracle Foundation. So Thank you. Yeah, I'm really grateful you've been here. Thanks. So great uh, to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Fun talking uh, to you. Yeah, it's fun talking to you. Maybe we can stay in contact and I'm going to find ways that I can point people in your direction. Back at you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Hey, don't forget to send your overcome stories to overcomepodcast at gmail.com. And also rate, review, subscribe, and follow Overcome with Justin Wren.